You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Conference Room, this is another Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins here in the studio, joined by Mike Chappell from uh, the power of uh, Beach Grove Wi-Fi, joining us from the south side of Indianapolis. We'll check on the Colts this week, looking to bounce back, taking on a division rival, Houston Texans, previewing that matchup with an injury update. We'll have keys to the game, making predictions. But first, we'll start with the news, and uh, not too much news this week uh, from the NFL, but the Colts' Jonathan Taylor has been named AFC Offensive Player of the Month yet again, back-to-back Offensive Player of the Month for Jonathan Taylor, had 556 yards rushing, 71 yards receiving, nine total touchdowns throughout the month. That, that'll do it. It's pretty good. Yeah, not too shabby there from JT, uh, in spite of uh, one quarter, which uh, he was not used too much uh, just, just recently. We won't get too much into that, I don't think. You guys uh, covered that a little bit on, um, on, on Monday's podcast. Might touch on it when we're talking hard knocks. But, uh, but chap, Jonathan Taylor... Uh, had another exceptional month and uh, proves to be, uh, yet again, one of the biggest and best offensive threats, uh, not just in the AFC, but, heck, in the entire NFL. Yeah, it's really – and let's put some perspective on this. If you value Offensive Player of the Month, he's the third Colt to get two in a season. Uh, Mike Vanderjeck did it three times, and Robert Mathis did it once. He and Vanderjack are the only ones to do it in back-to-back season or back-to-back months. And let's keep in mind that this is a franchise that had Peyton Manning, Edron James, Marvin Harrison. It's it's absolutely stunning, stunning that Peyton Manning never won it in back-to-back months. I mean, really, the year he throws forty-nine touchdowns, he didn't have you know two pretty good months. So it uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, I don't want to take anything away from Taylor. He had he, he's had two great months. Maybe it's a semi-reflection that no quarterback has been off the charts great from start to finish this year. A couple of them have had dips, but kudos to Jonathan Taylor. When you're doing, when you've done something that Manning, Harrison, and Edwin James didn't do, that's pretty good. Yeah, Joe, when you put your name up there, even above uh, the uh, the greats, and some of them in the Hall of Fame, some of them we think bound for the Hall of Fame one day, that's certainly, I'm not calling Jonathan Taylor Hall of Famer just yet, but boy, uh, you certainly take notice of a guy this early in his career doing some really great things. Yeah, I mean, he, he's on the right path. It, it's, it's certainly early in his career, but I think Jonathan Taylor, you would say, is, is there any running back in the NFL you would take above him right now, currently active? Because I can't choose any. I, mean, I think you can make an argument for Dalvin Cook. I really like him a lot. I he's think, hurt, too. Yeah, he's hurt. Alvin Kamara, is he hurt right he's now? Hurt. Uh, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb. He's hurt. Nick, yeah, everyone, everyone's Nick hurt. Chubb. Nick, Nick Chubb, maybe. Yep. Nick Chubb's good. I think Taylor might be a better pass catcher. Right. And that, but that's when I'd still take Taylor. And so, But I just think it, it's a short list, and, and he's got a miles lead in for the rushing – uh, lead in the, in the rushing title. I, I realize Henry's out, and I think Chubb might have missed a game. But still, e- everything we do to, to to kind of throw water on Jonathan Taylor doesn't really do it because he's having that kind of a year. And the the kind of year, it's really kind of crazy. The kind of year he's having is why last week got to be such a controversy in how the game went, and that just shows you the force. That Taylor can be has been. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit as we discuss the Hard Knocks episode from this past week, and that's what we'll dive into now. And the third episode of Hard Knocks featured the Colts coming off a, a huge win over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, returned to town, it featured uh, Scotty Montgomery a little bit, Colts running backs coach. We got to see him uh, behind the scenes inside the uh, team headquarters. And out of team headquarters, we saw a whole lot of Kenny Moore, Colts cornerback who uh, has uh, built a relationship uh, with uh, one family in particular for a young boy, Mason, who uh, who lost his second um, stint with cancer uh, just last year. And uh, that, that story is one that's uh, well known here in the central Indiana area. Uh, we've done stories on that here at Fox 59, CBS 4. Other media outlets have done it as well. But uh, but the now the uh, the national spotlight falls uh, a little bit on it as well. And, and I love to see that because you love to see the players, chap, who are um, who we feel are central to a team's identity that might not get the same national recognition as they do here in town. I think Kenny Moore is number 1A in that list of players who are vital to the Colts' success. And everyone in here, in this town, everyone who's a Colts fan respects the heck out of Kenny Moore. But nationally, I just don't see his name getting the same pub as other cornerbacks. Now, partially that's because he's a slot corner as opposed to an outside corner. Doesn't get the same types of numbers most of the time, but he is leading the team with interceptions this year in three. And so I think from that perspective, it, it, it was it was good for me because I like Kenny. He's not necessarily the best interview, but I like him because he's a he's a good kid. He's an honest kid. He's from Valdosta, Georgia, where I covered him down there in high school and at Valdosta State University. And now he's up here in uh, in in uh, Indianapolis doing doing his thing with the Colts. He was an underdog. I, I, it was just it's just encouraging, I think, for Colts fans to see someone who deserves more of the spotlight get some of it through this episode. And that's what this whole series will be about is that, like you said, a lot, most of what has been mentioned, we've, we've written and talked about and broadcast locally, but th this gives the, the national spotlight. Cause I, I think the hard knocks is something that's football fans watch. They do, whether it's Dallas or the Colts or, or whomever. So it, it, it's good to, to have these guys have their names and their games pushed out there. Darius Leonard's making full use of it. Good for him. Good for him. Caught him but, running but into the wall there. <laughs> yeah, Watch that, where you're going, Darius. That's right. But I, I just do think that that's the important thing, the value of, of Hard Knocks now is it shines the light on players and coaches that we know, we know a lot about, we've dealt a lot about, but it gives them a, a much, much bigger stage. And that, that's why I think this is I thought it's been done very, very well. Some people say, well, it's boring. No, not really. It just shows you the personality of the team. And I would argue, top to bottom, this is a overall a boring team. You know, there's not a lot of great over-the-top personalities. There are a few. But that doesn't mean that these guys don't have stories to tell. They don't have – that they don't merit attention. So I, I think it's worked out very well, and I'm, I expect it to be like this for the rest of the season. I, I think, Joe, one of the telling things about this episode about Kenny Moore, if you, if you want an idea about how good he is, I think listen to the conversations he had with Tom Brady out there on the field. Tom Brady doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's blowing smoke uh, up anybody's uh, you-know-where. And he had a couple of really seemingly honest conversations saying he respects him. And uh, then at the very end of the episode, in the final scene uh, before, before it all finished, Kenny's talking to his family there around the dinner table, and they're saying, 
you didn't have a whole lot of action there uh, on Sunday. And it's like, yep, Tom Brady is not going to pick at some of the best things that you do. Like Tom Brady, what he did forever with Belichick with the Patriots is, and what Belichick has always done is go after your weak points, pick at it slowly, go at it over and over and over again, and then eventually the dam is going to break. They, they leave your strengths alone. They're like, hey, you do this stuff really well. Okay, that's cool. We're not going to test you there. They didn't really test Kenny Moore all that much, and that goes to show you how much respect I think Tom Brady has for, for Kenny Moore. Well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm throwing a pass and I have a choice between Xavier Rhodes, Isaiah Rogers, Rockison, or Kenny Moore, it's not going to be Kenny Moore. Yep. Um, I think what he said around the dinner table at the end there was like, yeah, it was kind of a boring day yeah, for me. Exactly. Which means you're doing a good job as a corner. I remember... Uh, not that they exactly compare, but I remember the best years of um, Revis with the Jets, and his interception numbers were not big because quarterbacks just knew to stay away from him. Um, so that uh, you could tell that Tom Brady had a lot of respect for Kenny Moore, and hopefully through hard knocks, uh, more the national uh, attention and respect gains for Kenny Moore. So you get that as well as a really a, an inside look at some of the uh, game day. Uh, Discussions on the sideline, which I thought were very, very interesting. And I think it deserves a little bit more of a mention, the interaction between Quentin Nelson and Coach Frank Reich. I think that's the first time I heard him talk the whole series. Right? It might be. And, and that, again, like I thought it, this week has been kind of crazy with the, uh, the 26 passes and kind of the back and forth on both sides. And I've loved it, let me tell you. Like, for, from someone who grew up in Philadelphia and with sports talk radio there at a different level than it is here, it just is at another level than it is here in Indianapolis, I have thoroughly enjoyed the back and forth, the uh, debates on both sides, the arguments here and there for what is the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. I love the people who are passionate on both sides. Here, here's, like, here's what I want to add to the discussion. I think you guys did a very good job talking about it on Monday in the podcast, but since I wasn't here, I'll, I'll briefly say what I think. Like, I really thought that they should have run the ball more in those situations. Not that my opinion should hold too much weight, but like, I, 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 go to, I go back to what Chargers coach Brandon Stanley said earlier this year when he went viral about discussing the run game and what it does for your offense and how it really establishes the physical nature of what you do, and that's what football is. It's a physical game, and if you're if you're not attacking in the run game, you're kind of laying back and defending a little bit in the pass game. And I could, you could just tell from Quentin Nelson and his discussions with Frank, his discussions with Jonathan Taylor on the sideline, that he was sick of sitting back and just pass protecting all the time. And and I think he did it very respectfully. But like you could tell that beneath that he was simmering. Like he wanted to go. He wanted to attack someone. That's why he's like, can we just call a straight run play instead of an RPO? Can, can we just go and hit someone? Can I just break out of my stance and go attack someone at the second level? Like, please let me do this, coach. Credit to Frank for doing it, for listening to him. And and I thought that, that was that was a it was a great sequence to show just the inner workings of a team. And it I think it it also maybe not justifies, but also lends some credence to, to that side of the argument. I think there's been a huge movement this week, for whatever reason, among a lot of the main beat writers for this team to kind of toe the company line a little bit with the Colts and to, to show why they did 26 straight passes. And, and I get that. Like it, it, it makes a ton of sense why the Colts passed 26 straight times. But it is also, like, you, you can't, 
even though it makes sense that they did it, it also makes sense to run the ball more. So that's why I've really enjoyed this debate, because I think the best arguments on both sides are very good arguments. And if you got one person on one side or one per like if if you if you've heard anyone on the opposite side of this argument tell you that you're stupid for believing what you do, well, they're wrong because there are really good debates. There are, it's a really good argument on both sides about what should have happened in this sense. So, so that's, I think, what I wanted to add to the argument after, after seeing what happened on Sunday and then seeing what Quinton had to say through Hard Knocks. I, I've just, like I said, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and I was really, I, I loved seeing the passion that Quinton had out there and the respect that they all showed, I think, with one another. Like his, him coming off the field was like, Thank the uh, great job effing trusting him with Jonathan Taylor. I just put some trust in. That's what he wanted, and and he felt like just a, a little bit of, uh, of I think uh, it was it was resolved, I guess, in him that um, it, coming coming away from that drive and scoring a touchdown, thinking, man, I was right. We can go. We can attack. We can just we can try to run it down their throats here, and so that I. I so I wanted to add that to the discussion, and it was really cool to see, Joe, how, how Hard Knocks addressed it, knowing that it was certainly a bit of a lightning rod this week for discussion. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, when Big Q wants something, you better give it to him. <laughs> that's what I would do, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then second of all, I'll just say, uh, your point about both sides kind of being right in a way is correct. I mean, it, I, I hate to straddle it in that sense, you know, because it's like, oh, both sides make great points. Oh, I hope both teams have fun. Well, but that's kind of know, how it is sometimes. 26 straight passes, a bit of it was skewed by, you know, it went back into the second quarter where there's time running out, you're going to pass the ball right? Um, in that two-minute drill. But then also, you know, maybe ideally it would have been 23 passes and three runs. Like, I get you're not going to keep wasting plays and running into the teeth of the defense, but that physical nature, as you referenced, does have a value. Right, that's and why I, I don't think it's totally wasting plays when you do Even if the game's two yard, right. if you do it every once in a while, yes. it still has a value. And I hope that's a lesson that Carson Wentz learns from this as well, because Frank Wright mentioned there were more running plays called. Carson Wentz checked out of a lot of them. A lot of the run-pass options he chose to pass – and for the most part, he was correct because the passing game was humming besides the um, the strip sack that yep. kind of knocked things away. But every once in a while, you got to hand the ball off just to keep defense honest, to keep your offensive line physical. And I hope that's something that Wentz learned and that Wright learned because it makes sense to do what's working, but you can't completely abandon one facet of your offense, especially when you have the back-to-back AFC Offensive Player of the Month. Yeah, I think it's more on Reich to call the like the straight runs than it is for Carson not to check out of him because when you're the quarterback out there and you're given a certain look, like you're coached to change it up to the pass. And I think that's that's being a quote-unquote good soldier out there and doing what you're supposed to do based on the look. If you're the coach, I think you have more of the more of the overarching ideas that that I was talking about earlier about the running game about trying to impose your will about being more physical that's the stuff that you have to worry about I think the players really more have to um, have to execute the game plan that's given to them so I, I do I do think your point is valid I just think it weighs more on Frank Reich to to be the uh, the instigator of that than than I do Carson Wentz chap what do you think because I saw you tweeting out all those uh, all those interactions from uh, from Quentin Nelson with Frank Reich with Jonathan Taylor so it obviously is something that that left an impact on you as you were watching this episode of hard knocks as well yeah and I'm gonna write about it later today just because the fact that it was a lightning rod and a flashpoint, I think people 
get the impression that's that stuff doesn't go on in a game where, where the all-pro guard goes to the coach and says, hey, how about, we, how about we run the ball? That stuff happens all the time. Eh, not all the time. That happens a lot during a game. It just so happens that the play caller is the head coach. So he's standing out there by himself. I talked to uh, Darius Leonard. I talked to T.Y. Hilton. We talked to Jonathan. Now, Jonathan Taylor said he hasn't gone to a coach and said, hey, how about this? But Darius Leonard and T.Y. Hilton said, sure we do. We go to our coach. Now they go, Darius goes to Eberflus because he's a coordinator. So T.Y. will go to Frank Wright occasionally and say, hey, this might work. And he said sometimes he listens and sometimes he doesn't. So it's, and I'm, I'm hoping to talk to Kevin Mawai a little later today. Hall of Famer blocked for 13,000-yard rushers in his 16 seasons. You think he never went to his coordinator one time and said, hey, you know, it'd be nice if we, if we ran the ball a little bit. So it, it happens, and it's funny, one thing that jumped out at me, if you remember the AFC Championship game in 2006, in the big drive that the Colts took the lead, uh, first play, or the first two downs didn't work. The second down was an incomplete pass to Brian Fletcher, the tight end. And then Peyton went back and said, yeah, I said, we called uh, Brian Fletcher the suggestion box. And he said, he comes back to me on third down in this game and says, hey, I can beat the linebacker. And Peyton listened to him. And it was probably the biggest play in the game, the pass to Brian Fletcher. So it, it goes on a lot. It just, this time, because of how the game went, the 26 pass plays, and the fact that the head coach sort of by himself was different. But the back and forth goes on a lot. And uh, although T.Y. did say that, I said, Cause any, can anybody go to the coaches? Well, it depends on who you are. So you need some some clout. You know, you're not going to have a backup lineman go to the coach and say, how about this? But I just think it, it just shows that Reich is, is approachable and receptive. Sometimes he listens and sometimes he didn't. This time he did. Really, really good discussion, I thought. Like, and so uh, ho- hopefully we don't have the same type of controversy in the future. Hopefully the Colts win games, and then, you know, it's like, oh, well, we'll touch on this, and then we'll move on. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't quite blow up quite as much. Uh, but, but I think that's, it, it's, like I said, it's been a lot of fun, I think, going back and forth. And uh, the, the respectful side of the back and forth, of course, has been fun. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've utilized the mute button once or twice <laughs> uh, on Twitter to, uh, to, to cleanse the timeline. Uh, as as I encourage all of you out there to do as well, don't 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 let uh, don't let uh, fools ruin your experience, and there are plenty of them uh, uh, on the on the Twitter sphere. So uh, so anyway, uh, really looking forward to see what they do with Hard Knocks for the rest of the year, what they continue to do, because I think the first three episodes have been really good. I really enjoyed this last one. Like I said, uh, maybe it's because I have a good uh, soft spot in my heart for Kenny Moore. Uh, for for knowing him before his time with with Indy here, but uh, but I really really did uh, have a lot of fun watching it last night. So uh, we move on to the injury report. Uh, the best news off the top: Colts placed uh, Kari Willis designated to return from injured reserve. So now they have 21 days to add him to the active roster. And while I think the uh, the back end, especially the past couple weeks, has been has been relatively relatively solid. Um, maybe went through a few growing pains early when both Blackman and Kari went down and you were trying to work in both Odom and Sendejo and find some, uh, something to, to sync, uh, synchronize together. Um, they haven't really been beat over the top, I don't think, especially the past two weeks that I'm thinking of with guys like Brady and Josh Allen, who absolutely can, Joe. So, uh, so I think that 
Uh, he's coming back with guys who are still playing well. Uh, so there's no sense to rush him back right now. I'd imagine that if they're activating him or if they're designated him to return, there's a good chance he'll he'll come back this week. Uh, maybe 50-50. Uh, I don't think it's any any less than 50-50. Um, but but certainly good to have your guy back there who, who's been very important to the success of your defense in the past. And now we'll see just how fast he can return to uh, to the active roster. And it just gives them some much-needed depth as well. I mean, Sandejo was on the injury report Wednesday, so if Sandejo or Odom goes down, it gets mm-hmm. pretty dire out yep. there. So it's great to see him back. I think, uh, Chap, just looking at it, for, uh, by the way, the injury report for today, like, I, I think Sandejo was back. We'll, we'll touch on the, this completely, but I, I did see from – actually, yeah, g- g- give me a second, Mike. We'll get to you in a bit. But we'll, we'll just list the, uh, the, the quick – uh, injury report from Wednesday. DeForest Buckner, knee foot injury, did not participate. Uh, he told the media on Wednesday that uh, he wants to play on Sunday, though. He plans to play on Sunday. That's his plan. Um, running down the rest of the did not participate, Darius Leonard, Andrew Sandejo, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Jack Doyle. And uh, from our fine friend Joel Erickson with the Indy Star, uh, tweeting out earlier today, he said, everyone is back uh, except Buckner, um, but uh, Darius Leonard and Sendejo, or was it Jack Doyle and Sendejo? Doyle. Doyle and Sendejo, thank you. We're, uh, we're working with the trainer uh, on, on the side. So, uh, so it's not, doesn't, not horrible, it doesn't sound like. Limited participant Eric Fisher with a knee injury as well. So, uh, so that's what the injury report looks like right now. Jack Doyle, back-to-back Colts uh, receiving leader. How about that? You, you, do, you don't, don't sleep on Jack. And uh, I thought it was another thing from Hard Knocks was funny. Like, he was going back and forth with Mo Alley-Cox about that being his route that he scored on. Like, Mo would run it, like, three, four weeks in a row. They'd run ten times this season, I think is what Carson said. And it was always Mo, Mo, Mo out there. They finally run it with Jack, and boom, they score a touchdown. So, <laughs> like that, those, are the fun, those are more fun interactions that you get down there. But um, Mike also, uh, Paris Campbell, uh, Frank Reich, was asked about Paris. He said he's making good progress, not ready to offer an update just yet. But uh, but you could always tell a little bit from Paris because he is relatively active on Twitter. But he did post something this week that seemed like uh, yesterday or this week was a big week in uh, trying to make progress and get back uh, toward uh, being able to probably do something. You know, whether it's he's able to run, he's able to cut, he's able to lift, whatever it might be. Um, but uh, Paris has said before that he's kind of eyeing Christmas. He said on Twitter that he hopes to be able to play Christmas week. And now that we're in December, it's like that's like twenty one days which is the the return limit so don't like, remind me i got gifts to buy that's right that's true yeah you better get on amazon get stuff delivered quickly that uh, that supply chain issue it could uh, could come back to bite you joe come on get on it but <laughs> but mike if paris campbell can come back that that would certainly go and if he can be serviceable out there at receiver that would that would certainly help in um in giving the offense just another weapon out there because as Joe said, um, and as you guys both touched to uh, on Monday, like the more weapons you have, the better you can, um, the better you can fill in the gaps when a team like Tampa Bay is really stopping the run, and you have to pass more often than you certainly want to. So Paris Campbell, we'll see if anything happens with him with the injured reserve in the near future. Not this week, it seems like, but we could be on the way in that direction. Yeah, I mean we've talked it. I think since the start of November, this is like the highest scoring team in the league and I think it's a it's amazing I realize you've got Jonathan Taylor I realize that but the fact that this passing game can operate with with I don't mean to downgrade everybody else but with one legitimate consistent receiver it's been Michael Pittman you know T.Y. had what was it a big game Sunday four for 28 I, I realize he had a couple of key catches I realize that but 
the the fact that they've done this all season with with T.Y. being in and out, more more out, Paris Campbell being out, and, and Zach Pascal has not stepped up. He, he he's had he's in some kind of a funk or whatever. So to get Paris Campbell back would be huge. And you're gonna know by then. You're gonna know you're either playing it out or you're playing for something by that time. And I think I think they'll be playing for something. One thing to keep in mind, or at least to think about, with Kari Willis and even Buckner. Uh, the the one player I never the one source I never go to on stat availability is the player. They always they, they always play on playing. So his quote was, "I plan on playing Sunday." We'll we'll see. But do do you think or, or do the Colts ever take into account? You know, if we give Buck this week off and then we've got to buy, and Kari Willis get him out there get get some work in and then we got to buy, and, and then for, for the real stretch run. We've got these guys really healthy, healthier. Do you think, are you in a position to where, you know, we got Houston, and my goodness, if we can't beat Houston without Buckner and Willis, then, then what are we? I don't know if they take that approach or not, but there's no question that I would rather have Willis and Buckner at closer to 100% for the, for the last four games than I don't want to say push them back because they don't push players back, but but to put them out there Sunday. So I, I think Buckner plays because he's kind of like Quentin. You have to take his helmet, and you can't play without a helmet. So with Willis, with Willis, I is three practices enough? I don't know, but that's just something to think about. Would they look at having two weeks to give these guys to get more healthy or not? They probably don't think that way, but it's at least worth considering. Houston's not exactly 100% either right now, Joe. Their offensive line is pretty beat up. Left tackle Laramie Tunsil, right tackle Marcus Cannon, center Justin Britt are all on injured reserve. And I see you made a note here that you will give me a chocolate coin if I can name a current offensive line starter for the Houston Texans. That's right. You can keep your chocolate coin (laughs) because I cannot name an offensive line starter for the Houston Texans. Chap? No. Nope. Uh, Joe gets to and keep I, all of this. I, I like coins. chocolate. Co- I like chocolate coins too. So I wish I could, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough out there. From left tackle onto the right side, they got Garon Christian, uh, Lane Taylor, Jimmy Morrissey, Justin McRae, who is on their injury report with a concussion, and Charlie Heck. So, what the uh, heck? I thought it, I, it, I thought Jim Morrison was dead. Wasn't he the Doors? Or, or, or am I getting my people mixed up? <laughs> He's back That's on. how badly the Texans need <laughs> offensive linemen. Uh-huh. They reached trotting, into the grave. Yeah, trotting him out every week. Uh, and that's not all. The Texans, in fact, did not hold practice on Wednesday because a p- couple of players were sick. Uh, but Coach David Culley did add in his uh, speaking with the media via Zoom that no one has tested positive for COVID yet. And I haven't seen any of that today either. That would have come up uh, on the wires for sure, at least as we uh, tape this podcast Thursday afternoon. Um, the team is expected to resume practice today, and I think they have. Uh, but their uh, their practice report, which was, of course, estimated from Wednesday because they're not in person. Um, the players who were ill were Brandon Cooks, Chris Conley at receiver, running back David Johnson, and uh, center Cole Toner. I think Toner has some central Indiana connections. I think he played for, like, Bishop Chittard or Roncalli or one of those schools. I forget which one. Uh, I'll look it up in a minute. But after that, Danny Amendola as well with a knee injury suffered against the Jets. Reports are he could miss four weeks. Um, 
Guard Justin McCray, who you mentioned, Joe, who has a concussion. Defensive lineman Demarcus Walker has a hamstring injury, and cornerback Terrence Brooks also has a hamstring injury. So that's a slew of players who would have been did not participate uh, if they had actually practiced yesterday. Limited participation would have been Jonathan Grenard with a foot injury and defensive lineman Jacob Martin uh, with a shin. So there's a lot of issues right now going on with uh, with the Houston Texans who who aren't exactly um, murderers, and there aren't exactly the 85 Bears when they're at full health, Joe. But uh, they're they're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, I'm looking. That they did return to practice today. Okay. I saw David Johnson did not practice today. Right. Um, he's got that, I think, a quad, right? Uh, that's what I wrote down. And then um, Brandon Cooks and uh, the, the guys who had the illness, the non-COVID illness, um, they were not practicing again today. So mm-hmm. they must be feeling a little rotten out there. Yep. But we'll see. Friday will be the big day um, in determining – if these guys have a realistic chance of playing on Sunday or not. Right. Those illnesses, like you, you never know. Cause if we look back to earlier this year when Jordan Wilkins for the Colts is no longer on the roster, had that mysterious illness and was out for like three weeks. Non football. Exactly. Non foot, whatever it was. Lamar so. Jackson missed a game with the illness. Yep. So Yeah. So who knows as a child, as not a child, as a father with two small children, one of whom goes to daycare and the other one will go to daycare. I can attest that sicknesses can come and hit your family. A lot of them. I catch all of them, every <laughs> single one, because uh, they come home with the child. She brings home lots of love and joy and mm. sickness on earth, and uh, we have to deal with it back home. Um, so anyway, uh, Cole Toner. Just, by just real. Just, uh, there go you ahead. Go. Uh, you, you, I was going to say Cole Toner, uh, yeah, Ron Colley grad. Go ahead, Chad. Ron Colley. Yeah. Ron Colley, yeah. formerly the Rebels, which I'm not sure what they are now. Now they're the they Royals. Yeah. Rebels. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So um, let's see here. Colts are six and six. They're visiting the Texans. They'll be on the road to take on Houston two and nine. Um, T.Y. Hilton game, first of all. Let, let, let's say that every time that uh, the Colts are in NRG Stadium. That was his best game this year. What, four for 80? It was, yep, yep. That was his uh, first game back, too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Let's see if we can get T.Y. out there. Uh, Houston, by the way, coming off a really tough loss to the Jets last week. And that was one week after beating the Titans. Uh, so, so still can't figure out the AFC. Nope. No one knows what's going on in the AFC where everything's made up and the games don't matter. Uh, an ugly game. Both teams, uh, were uh, less than 300 total yards of offense. Houston only had 202. Uh, the jets had uh, 3.7 yards per play, which Joe puts in parentheses. Gross. Yeah, that, for <laughs> clarification, I probably wrote that confusing. Houston had. Oh, okay. 3.3. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. I see. Yep. Nope. I, I just read it wrong. So. Uh, yeah. bl- blame me for but that. But it one. was pretty gross. You got the yes, most important. I got the gross you could, right. you could have put you could have put like three point seven yards per play net, which is gross. So, so it, it's hey. yeah. That, that's why you're the yeah. writer, Mike. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I I look at those things. I have a I have a critical eye. <laughs> Here's what uh, what we should be watching for if you're a Colts fan out there, or what the Colts will be preparing for, and uh, something actually that. Uh, DeForest Buckner brought up in his uh, availability with the media, one thing that will be different when the Colts play the Texans this weekend is quarterback. Tyrod Taylor did not suit up in the Colts' first meeting with uh, with the Texans. They had the rookie. Um, his name is escaping me at Davis the moment. Mills. Davis Mills. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Tyrod Taylor brings Chap uh, an element of a running game, 
and the Colts have struggled with a couple of running quarterbacks this year, especially on bootleg action. You knew that Tom Brady wasn't going to do it this past week, uh, but uh, you've seen it before with Ryan Tannehill. Of course, Lamar Jackson is a, is a different type of beast, but uh, Tyrod Taylor is a guy who can absolutely beat you with his legs. He's a guy who has shown in the past that he can beat good teams just two weeks ago beating the Titans. So you, you can't go into this game sleepwalking, even though the Texans are 2-9. Are and nine. I'm sure the Colts will be showing them the respect they deserve, especially because they have a quarterback who has shown in the past he's a veteran and he can do some damage when given the opportunity to do so. Yeah, not the, the same level of a quarterback at all, but the, their prime objective in Buffalo was to keep Josh Allen in the cup, as they say, to not let him get outside. For the most part, after a couple of early plays, they did that. I mean, how do you – you go into this game, and as much as you want to get pressure on a guy, your outside guys, your edge defenders, simply cannot let him get outside. If he wants to try to beat you from the pocket, knock yourself out. But I, I just – this is a game – and again, keep in mind that the, the uh, Texans' leading rusher right now is in New Orleans, Ingram. So so they, they you look at this – we were talking in the press room because sometimes we just talk, and – Part of me thinks the Colts are due for a clunker. They're just due for a game where you say, what the heck was that? Maybe they had that against Jacksonville. I don't know. But they haven't had a game where you really just scratched your head. And maybe this is one. You just come off of two top-level games against Buffalo and Tampa. And and now, you know, we're all going to sort of make fun or, or make light of Houston and their lack of talent and the fact that they somehow they won two games. But but I, I just don't think Frank's going to let that happen. He, he's Whatever you think about his play calling, which is crazy if you're going to criticize it overall, but I just don't know. I look at this roster, and I just don't know how the Texans have much to do with this game. This is a game the Colts either win in a walk or they have five more turnovers, which that, that was such an aberration last week. And the talent level on defense – where the Texans doesn't even approach the talent level of Tampa Bay. So I, I just – I hope my, my gut is just the lunch I had. I, I, I They're due for a clunker because every team has one. Every team has a game where you think, what was that? But I just – against Houston, I just don't know that it matters. Yeah, uh, the Colts, I think, caught Buffalo's clunker. And that's that's not to disrespect what the Colts did in Buffalo. They still played really darn well. But Buffalo absolutely was at worse uh, in both that game and the Jaguars game from uh, the, the two games beforehand, if we're just giving examples. And if you look at Colts clunkers in the past, the one that comes to my mind is the 6 nothing loss in 2018 to Jacksonville uh, on their own home field. So that was another one that's, uh, that, that's out there. And, and, Chap, you bring it up because, because they happen. Like you said, like those clunkers seem to happen every, every single year to every single team. And, and if you don't, then you're just one of the elite teams out there. And as Joe, as, as we know, there doesn't seem to be too many elite teams in, in especially the AFC, because that was another thing from the Hard Knocks episode this week. Frank talking to uh, the coaching staff saying, my family keeps calling me, asking me who to root for. And I, I don't know who to tell them. I say, just root for the Colts because everybody keeps winning, losing there. Everyone's right around the same thing right now. So it's hard to say what else you should be rooting for out there. But you know you can root for the Colts not to have that clunker this weekend when Houston is uh, is on the menu. 
Yeah, just got to stick with that one and zero mentality, and go. I I think it helps with the buy coming up afterwards. Just be that we got one more week to focus in, guys, and then we can kind of relax a little bit with the buy, and then get into the home stretch. And I mean, I have a lot of respect for Frank Wright as a coach too, so I think he'll get his guys ready to play, especially guys who kind of want to bounce back a little bit after letting the game slip away against the Buccaneers. So I think they'll be ready, but you know what? It's We've seen the Texans beat some teams, and their only two wins this year came with Tyrod Taylor. So they're definitely, unquestionably, a better team with Tyrod Taylor. And he definitely does bring the running game more than the, the dynamic passing offense. He's actually struggled to pass, as you note here, in his three games since, excuse me, returning from injury. Uh, he's only averaging 170 yards passing per game, less than 60% completion rate. He has two touchdowns and four interceptions. So those numbers aren't going to impress anyone. His receivers, like I mentioned earlier, Brandon Cooks, Chris Conley, Damian Amendola were all out of practice on Wednesday, or all listed out. And today. And today, all of them again. So Cooks is uh, Houston's really best offensive weapon. He has 62 catches for uh, 704 yards, which is pretty good right there, for especially in an offense that doesn't pass the ball too well. Also three touchdowns. Uh, no other skill player you know has even reached 300 yards. So Cooks literally doubling up anyone else out there. So, Joe, if they're, if they're without Cooks, I don't even know. Or if they're without those three players and David Johnson, I don't know who they would really be looking at for to try to provide them with any type of offense. Yeah, this maybe weekend. run the Wildcat? I don't, right? I'm not I sure. Don't but, I mean, Cooks is definitely far and away their only legitimate offensive weapon that you really have to worry about. I mean, David Johnson's long past his prime, if he even plays. Um, but he's kind of cooled off after a hot start. He had 322 yards in his first three games this year, 382 in the eight games since. Mm. So he's not kind of, you know, he he looked like he was going to be a fantasy football steal, just a guy who was going to rack up a lot of points um, in yards on a team that's going to be trailing a lot this season. But it's kind of it's kind of come downhill for Cooks a little bit, but he's still far and away the best offensive weapon they have, probably yeah. the best offensive player they have. Right, chap. The first time that uh, the Colts played the uh, Texans this year, they they crushed them thirty-one to three, and it was Mark Ingram who uh, had eighteen carries, seventy-three yards. It was Brandon Cooks who had nine catches, eighty-nine yards. And, and there's a good chance neither one of those players are going to be out there on the field. We'll, we'll certainly have to keep our definitely eye on not Cooks. Ingram. Yeah, definitely not Ingram because he's not playing with them anymore. So this is like when you see, when you see teams um, in your division multiple times a year, usually you have a good idea about what to see each time out there on the field. I don't think with the Texans in this case that uh, it's going to be very similar because you have a different quarterback, you have different weapons. Uh, there, there's a good chance, they're, even though they probably run some similar stuff, that they're going to try to attack you and, and go through their progressions, go through their play calling in a different manner based on who's on the field this weekend. Yeah, I remember going into the season, we talked and about all the changes that the Texans made on their roster. I mean, it was incredible the number of trades and free agents and new faces they had out there. But none of them were like difference makers. I mean, Philip Lindsay, I thought, was one of the better players they brought in, but with his past, and he's gone. So, I again, I just, I have a hard time getting past that. This is probably the worst roster in the league, and it's probably not close to who's who's next. That's why I say that this. I think this. We're going to see how. I hate to use the word motivation, but I think we're going to see how how much Frank can get a team ready to play when you're definitely playing an inferior team on the road. Uh, 
I think what Joe mentioned, though, you got some players who are very, very PO'd that they let one get away, another game get away. Remember, this is the third time a double-digit lead against a quality opponent that has you scratching your head. I just, so I think this is one where Frank will do a good job. But if I'm the players, I want to go out there and, and really sort of reestablish who they they think they are, who they want to be. And I'll go back to saying I just think this is a game that the Texans are sort of along for the ride, and they'll either get smoked or they'll pick up a, a, a win because the Colts just find ways to lose. I just don't know where you can find enough ways to lose this game. I Maybe I'm totally wrong, and we'll well the Texans, find out. Yeah, the te- Texans' offense is uh, dead last in the NFL in points per game, in yards per game, in rushing yards per game. Uh, they've allowed 31 sacks, sixth most in the league, 18 turnovers, uh, seventh most. Uh, defense on that side of the ball, Jonathan Greenard is breaking out a bit in year two. Uh, he's a third-round pick last year. He has eight sacks in seven games and had two in his first meeting with the Colts. If I'm not mistaken, that's when the Colts' offensive line was still in a little bit of a flux earlier in the year. Um, I'm not sure exactly how early in the I year it was. I can't remember if Braden Smith was quite back yet or not. And by the way, Braden Smith is having a heck of a year. Yeah. Like, I, I've been seeing some stats, and, like, you see those. I, I love Metrics. those graphs, yeah. like, like, on Twitter that you see with, like, top right corner, like, run Braden block, Smith. pass block, percentage win. And, like, Braden Smith is way up there in the top right corner because he has a good run block win rate, a good pass block win rate. And uh, it, it's it's been really, really cool to see. Um, how good Braden Smith is. Like after that first week when Braden Smith really did not play well and he was hurt, as we found out, and went on injured reserve afterward, uh, I'm sure there was, a, there was some rumblings about, shoot, we just gave Braden Smith among Colts fans $17 million over the next four or five years, whatever that contract extension was. But boy, he has come back from, from injured reserve and he's been absolutely dynamite out there. So it's, it'll be good to have him back to face a, uh, a, a Texans defense that can absolutely get after the quarterback if given the opportunity. At least Jonathan Greenard can get after the quarterback. And the rest of the defense, they are still bottom five in points allowed per game and in yards allowed per game. But they have 14 interceptions. That ranks fourth best. Uh, 25 sacks is in the middle of the pack. They're actually tied with the Colts there at 15th. So, um, and, and with it's another thing that, uh, not Darius, DeForest Buckner chap brought, brought up on Wednesday. He said, of those takeaways that they've had, a lot of them have been recently. Uh, like over the past two or three weeks, uh, they've had 10 takeaways there. So uh, they're, they're, they're kind of finding a little bit of their form there on the defensive side of the ball. And for a Colts team that just had five turnovers this past week, I'll give him four if you don't want to count that very last heave by Carson Wentz, uh, four over the real course of a game, but still five is just sounds markedly worse, in my opinion. Um, that's something they'll absolutely have to uh, watch out for and with a team that is, has been hot because when they come, they come in bunches. And that, that's going to lead us right into Joe's keys of the game, why I don't think there's going to be a another repeat of the turnovers because, uh, Joe, you can get back to your number one key of the game, but what would that be again? Run the damn ball. That's all Joe <laughs> wants Quentin. to see. It's all Quentin wants to see. It's all I want to see. And it's all Jonathan Taylor wants to see. So, and I, th- I think I tell you, I, this sometimes you, things things are so set up to where this is how it's going to be. This is how it should be. That it's not. But if they're not back to run the ball forty times. For one one sixty one seventy, I'll be stunned. I'll be stunned if Frank if Frank tries to get cute. Whatever you want to say, this is one to me. You just don't over 
think it. You, you listen to your offensive linemen. You remember who you are, and you simply impose your will, and you, you just make it as simple as you can. You, obviously, you got to throw the ball. Obviously, you throw the ball. But if Taylor doesn't get his 20, 25 carries, not touches, carries, and you sprinkle in six or seven from uh, Naheem Hines, I will be extremely surprised. Taylor's 16 carries against the Buccaneers were his fewest since that Week 8 loss to uh, to the Tennessee Titans, Joe, you mentioned here. Um, Houston's 4.5 yards per game, yards per carry allowed ranks in the bottom 10 of the league. They're giving up 135 yards rushing, 17 rushing TDs total. So, it, it, like Chap said, if they don't really give a, a marked uh, commitment to running the ball this weekend against Houston, it would, it would stun me as well. Not now, then win. I mm-hmm. mean, and, and I'm sure Houston's going to come out and do all they can to stop the run, but it doesn't matter. They you don't sh- have Vita Vea there in the middle. No, no. no. And, uh, it's a little uh, different. Vita Vea. Of course he had to come back from injury in the game. That exactly. Uh, fantastic. You <laughs> yeah. know, there yeah. he is. Vita Vea. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank God. Another guy who's really underrated. You talk yeah. about Kenny Moore. But anyway, yeah, the Colts, just, just run the ball. Just do it. Don't, don't, don't. Just do it, please. Yeah. No, I, I don't care how you do it. You can do the, the wild card stuff with Naheem and John. Jonathan Taylor, you can do it any way you want to. Just do it. Key number two, don't turn the ball over five times. Just just, just do it. Just don't do it. Here is number (laughs) two. Do not turn the ball over five times. The Colts are the better team on paper, as Chap alludes to. If you look at the paper... Houston might not have might not be able to be better than anyone in the league. They might be thirty second out of thirty two teams. Still have uh, two more wins than the poor Lions. They do have two. It's a good point. So uh, the the Lions are maybe which I would take the Lions roster over the Texans roster any day. Looking down, up and down. Yeah, you might. You absolutely might. But uh, Houston has the fifth most takeaways in the NFL with twenty. They've had a bunch recently, as I said. So so don't beat yourselves. And like you can go back and forth. I think about the run. Uh, the run-to-pass ratio in that in that game last weekend, the turnovers killed them. And I think you can make the argument that passing so much led to some of those turnovers. Yeah. You can say that allowing Shaq Barrett to pass rush 26 times in a row is not a good idea, and that led to the strip sack. Like, I get that completely. You can say that passing 26 times in a row led to the deep ball interception, even though I would say Michael Pittman Jr. just did not have a good game this past weekend. Like, it was, it was like we're, we're talking about, uh, Chap, you're saying Pittman, it's been Pittman and then no one else after that to step up. Well, this past week was really Jack Doyle was uh, the one who was more reliable. And Pittman had a good couple for third down conversions over the middle. I'll give him those. You got to go in a little later. But, yeah. but then, like that interception there, that he lost a jump ball to a 5'9 corner. I think he probably lost the ball in the, uh, in, in the air. That's what it looked like. It did. And, and then at the beginning of this, uh, the game when he's tripped coming out of the break and he dropped one, although it was behind him on two uh, back-to-back third down plays. Like, you, you want more out of a number one receiver than you got from Pittman in that game. I, I would very you know, much... But, 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 a, but, but, that, 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 but that's one thing, too, we, and we talked about is you need to have a, have a depth of wide receiver where when your number one guy has that game, it's not a killer, and, and that's not where they are right now. Right. And, and I think that's that's another thing that is kind of bubbling under the surface of this debate between the run and the pass here, chap, is that the roster is not built properly to beat the best teams in the league when your best thing is not working. Like, the Colts, as I've said on Twitter multiple times this year, the, the Colts are perfect when Jonathan Taylor runs for 100 yards. They're 6-0. and they are imperfect when he uh, – perfectly imperfect, I should say – when he runs for less than 100 yards. They're 0-6. It's very obvious. 
When you go after Michael Pittman Jr. 10 times or more, when you target him 10 times or more, I think they're 0-3 or 0-4. When Carson Wentz averages, uh, like, like you said, Joe, um, I, I forget if it was today or if it was in the podcast or earlier on, on Monday. The Monday. But yeah, his, his, his five or six most um, completions, uh, not completions, attempts, attempts. Yeah, they're all losses. It was 39 attempts he averages in the six losses and yeah. 27 in the six wins. Yeah, it, it's like they're very obvious stats that if the Colts try to pass it too much, that they lose. And I don't think that's because uh, Carson Wentz is a bad quarterback. I think that's because, Chap, as you said, the, the, the weapons aren't out there to really win through the passing game uh, against the best teams in the NFL right now. I think they have the running game to beat the best teams in the NFL, but they don't have the passing game to beat the best teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I think there's some weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball, too, with cornerback, and you can't stop tight end. Like They've had a really tough trouble with Rob Gronkowski this past week, seven catches over the middle for 125 yards or whatever it was. Like I, there's been there's been some significant like this has been a recurring problem I think with either Darius Leonard or Bobby Okereke not dropping to the proper depth to let the tight ends get a little bit behind them and get those 15 20 yard I'm sure receptions. safeties being out doesn't help either. I, I'm sure that doesn't. You're right. Like that, I I don't know exactly where the problem is. So so I apologize if I called out the linebackers and it's really not their fault. Um, I'm not the coach that's uh, describing what what should be done. So maybe I shouldn't have done that. I should have kind of included both of them in in, in the uh, in the issue. But but what but what is like I uh, to to bring it all to a head. What has been simmering underneath this uh, chap this pass run game um, debate has been a, a roster that's not just not suited from top to bottom. Uh, I think to beat the best teams in the NFL in multiple ways. Would you agree? Would you disagree? No, I agree. And. and- no, I shouldn't say part of that. A big, a big part of that is is Ty missing so much time, and Paris Campbell missing so much time. Well, Paris Campbell has missed so much time. He has. I mean, it was great to see that. That might have been the prettiest pass from Wentz to Doolin. I mean, it was just, it, it, you couldn't you couldn't have run down and handed it to him better. Well, th- that was his eleventh catch this year. So you, it, it's just hard to have a passing game where you don't know. And again, as we talked about, not to dump on the guy, but it was a tough game for Zach Pascal. He just was. Yep. Had a couple of drops and the fumble. And in that, he, in the past, you've known, you've simply known he would be there for five catches and 70, sometimes six for 90 or 100. And I think that's what, again, what, what we're seeing is, is a roster. Hey, God love Jack Doyle. Really, he can't be your leading receiver. He he just he just can't be. This, this, he's not Gronk with all with all due respects. So uh, the the problems that they've got, you know, pass rush, which we won't get into, but receiver, these are things. Maybe may, maybe they get it. It's resolved a little bit if if Camel comes back. But th- this is an issue that 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 is is number two or three on the list in the off season. Either in my mind, they've got to sink money into a receiver, which Chris Ballard simply does not like to do. So uh, that, that, but no, I, I think you're right that that the roster makeup is not allowing them. Although I don't know that it would have mattered um, the Tampa game. That was such an aberration. It really was. But the, the the receiver core is really hurting what they really want, might want to do balance wise with with the wide receiver position and what those guys are able to give. Last key to the game, you need a bounce-back performance from the defense, which gave up a season-high 38 points last week. Get some momentum back. And, and to be fair, with that stat, Joe, 
uh, giving up 24 points off of turnovers went a long way to those 38. So I, I think the, uh, the key, two and three here, your keys to the game, are very much linked to one another. If the offense doesn't turn the ball over five times a game, that's not giving the, so many more opportunities to the, uh, to the opposing offense to put points on the board. So uh, if the defense could, uh, could do uh, slightly better than 38 points, I think, against the Texans, which I, 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 would, I would bet the farm that uh, they would not give up 38 points to the Texans, uh, that, would go, uh, that would go swimmingly, I think. The, the turnovers definitely had an impact, although the two in the third quarter there were in Tampa Bay territory, it's not like they had great field position. I think they started at the 35 both times and drove the length of the field. But where is the run defense that was so stout last year? I mean, Leonard Fournette absolutely tore them apart, and I'm sure they were more focused on stopping Tom Brady. But I I think they have given up the most rushing touchdowns in the NFL, if I'm not incorrect, or maybe that was passing touchdowns. But they've given up a lot lately in the run game, if I'm uh, – if I'm being honest here. So I just really want to see a bounce-back performance against mm -hmm. a bad team. Really dominate a bad team. Get your mojo back. Get feeling good going into the bye. And then hit the home stretch running. Yeah, take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. Because it's not every week you're facing a team that has that's down three offensive line starters and other guys are sick. And you're they traded away their best running back early in the year. Like, I think that's a great point. Like you really have to take advantage of these opportunities when they come. Yeah, just 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 stomp a bad team and get to feeling good about yourself. Predictions for this week as the Colts take on the Texans Sunday afternoon, one PM, broadcast locally in central Indiana on CBS four. You can follow us on Twitter for updates throughout the week at Colts Blue Zone. I'm at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 Follow his work online at fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. FanDuel has the Colts at 10-point favorites this week. Over-under set at 40.5, 45.5, excuse me. So they're expecting something along the lines of a 28-18 uh, ball game uh, for, uh, in favor of the Colts. And I think the Colts score over 30 this week. Uh, because they just put up 30 uh, against the Tampa Bay team, and they still turned the ball over five times. You know, we, We've been arguing over run-pass ratio uh, all week, and I get it. Like I said, I love it. But at the same time, you realize, boy, you just put up 31 points against, uh, against a really good defensive team, and you still turned the ball over five times. I think that's a pretty good sign for your offense uh, if you're, we're looking on the sunny side of the loss there. So I, I think the Colts get this one done. I'll go with 34 to... How many points do I give the Texans? Like, that's like 13, 35 to 13. It could be anywhere from like 6 to 20. Exactly. And, and, and like Chap says, this could be, uh, they, they could either hang around or they could be absolutely imploding sometime uh, over the next, uh, over Sunday afternoon. So uh, I'm going to go with the imploding side of things uh, somewhat. Like I said, 34 to 13 is what I'm going to stick with. Colts win this weekend in Houston over the Texans. Joe, what you got? Then Chap will wrap us up. Going on the Colts as well. I'll do a score of 30 to 17. I think maybe the Texans get like a late garbage time touchdown and kind of make the score look a little closer than it was. But I think it's a good bounce back game for the Colts going to a bye. And then hopefully they can uh, really rip off some wins in the last four games there. All right, Mike, you're up. I always hated that guy in school when I'm doing my work and he's peeking over my shoulder. It just got me so mad that he stole my work. Well, as I'm holding up here, I was got, the guy stealing your work. I've got 3413, and I wrote it down ah! at least 10 minutes ago. So, sure. yeah, I just, I, I guess great minds think alike. 
the 34-13 might include a late touchdown. I, ju- I just think, again, sometimes let's not overthink things. The Colts are the much better team, much better team. And uh, I, I just I will be beyond stunned if this game comes down to a Deshaun Watson-like fumble at the goal line with Deshaun Watson not even in the stadium. Yeah. All right, here's a more interesting question. Over or under 120 rushing yards for Jonathan Taylor? Over. Yeah, I'll, I'll go I, over. I, I think way over. I, I, I just think it's, again. Where I would just, you put oh, the line? Oh, I'd put the line about 120. I just think, again, he, he's a guy, take away the Tampa game. He's a guy, if he gets the ball 20 times, he's going to have two 20-yarders and maybe something bigger. So, I, yeah, I, I would, uh, I would, if, if I were back in my betting days, which I lost enough that I quit doing that, and I could, like, parlay the, the 34-13, the over, which that's a little dicey because the Colts have to take care of the over themselves. And Taylor, and Taylor over, I don't think that the prop bet would be over 120. It's probably like 110. I'd take those and feel really good about my bet. Yeah. I, I could see this going 34-3, to three, you know, and, and not, not I mean. getting the over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, no. Didn't uh, Taylor's 83-yarder come against the Texans? Was that the Texans? I can't remember. I know he rushed for 100 yards in that game because the Colts won that game. Ah, ah. That's a real easy way to keep track. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Did the Colts win? Okay, Jonathan Taylor hit 100 yards. Hey, lots of stuff to keep up for for the rest of the week, though. Uh, Houston Texans have a couple issues on their offensive line in particular and their uh, their injuries as well, their illness over there. So be sure to follow at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter for updates there throughout the week. Also, from the Colts side of things, we'll see if uh, DeForest Buckner can rally and get to uh, game day. We'll see if Carr Willis is activated. Uh, on Saturday uh, to the uh, to the active roster off of injured reserve. So a couple things to pay attention for in particular, and I'm sure there'll be some other things that pop up, as there always is. Mike's as wonderful writing. On. Yeah, exactly. Course. Mike's wonderful writing. As he said, going to write a little bit more later today about some of those uh, those hard knocks discussions that, uh, that we heard uh, on the show last night that found particularly intriguing. So we do appreciate you listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. For Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell, I'm Dave Griffiths. We will see you next week.